There's two elements to what I'm fixing to preach about, and I hope you'll be gracious with me as we sort through. But one, many of us didn't know Anthony. I know you're getting the sense of who he was, but at the same time, I'm preaching to two facets of people. One who had no intimate knowledge of Anthony, and two who did. So before I even begin, I want to make sure I state this point, that this sermon isn't preached to only people who knew Anthony. That in reality, many of us are wrestling with this belief of making sense out of life, or trusting in God's sovereignty. So I want to be very open and transparent that for those who are mourning and weeping, mourn and weep today, but also those who are saying, I'm not weeping, but I have something I'm weeping about. This sermon is also for you. That there is some things in people's lives that we are mourning and trying to make sense out of. And today I want to remove you from the responsibility to make sense out of what doesn't make sense. But the only way for us to remove us making sense out of something is that something has to replace it. And that's called trust. Trust in sovereignty. So today I hope that you will dive deep with me. This text is not easy to preach. So I thank you for your grace in advance. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the opportunity for us to get into your word because that is where we find our trust. That is where we find our hope. That is where we find our faith in reality of who you are. You have described it for us. Now, this sermon is not easy to preach. I recognize that even I wrestle with the word sovereignty right now. Because that means I have to trust that you still allowed a plan despite my disagreement. That many of us are in this sanctuary trying to make sense out of life and hoping that this sermon will make sense. But in reality, I'm fixing to preach a sermon that will remove us in our human responsibility to make sense, but replace it with trust and sovereignty. So as we debate sense versus sovereignty, I pray our hearts will be moldable and soft so that we will receive the truth of who you are. God, you are still good. You still reign on the throne. You still love us, even if we struggle with that. God, we love you today. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, recognize my normal personality is not easy to decipher the two. So I'm going to, if you don't mind being gracious with me as we preach through it. I'm going to say an illustration that may take a time to tie in, but bear with me. And I want you to be open and transparent and honest. Uh, One of them that I think will hopefully ring true for everybody as we bring light to the situation. How many of you are particular eaters? Okay, I'm going to explain that, and I hope this makes sense. How many of you let your food touch? Raise your hand. You're unholy. How many of us... Let the green bean juice touch other things, like your bread. You're also unholy. How many of us are sanctified? Meaning we set things apart. There we go. You're holy. God bless you. That some of us allow the bread to actually touch the juice. You know that makes it soggy, right? Who wants green bean roll? Raise your hand. Nobody. Exactly. 
I'm going to name one more thing I'm a particular about. I'm particular about the order of eating. If it is called an appetizer, I eat the appetizer first. So don't be mad at me if I finish the appetizer while you decide to eat your meal. I did what was right in order. It's on that way on your menu. It's on that way in how you should eat it. That's your fault. If you wait to have your bread, I may eat three or four, especially at Roadhouse. It is a sin how much butter I put on those rolls. The second thing I'm going to tell you about this statement is that I wait for the main course to be the main course. I'm going to explain. If I don't like, now don't judge me if I ever come to your house. But you might be know, now be able to read me. If I don't like one thing you put on the plate, because my mom and dad with the belt told me I had to eat everything on the plate. If I don't like it, what do you do? You eat it what? First. Thank you. Some holy people are out there. How many of y'all mix and match what you eat at the same time? You're not, a, you're not holy. So the, the, I wait. Because if I order a steak, then that should be last. Because it's what? It's the best thing you ordered. It, it, it's, the, it's the main course. It, it's supposed to be what you wait for and salivate for. So you eat your fries before your nuggets. You're not... You are dismissed, church discipline. Because <laughs> there is an order to that. So when I look at Anthony's life, it doesn't make sense to me. And I know you're like, well, how does that make sense to me right now? Because to me, he was the main course. Why would God take him first? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, you separate things, and Anthony was described as good to me. When I encountered him, it was good. Therefore, in my eyes, I would save him for last. Like, he should deserve the long life. He deserved to be on the plate the longest. No offense, take some other things first. But not Anthony Young. So when I walked into the hospital room and I see him there, I'm like, not him. Just take somebody else. At least it makes sense out of life, that the good stay on the plate. But for some reason, God doesn't always make sense. And I've come to that realization the longer I've been in his service, in his ministry, that some things are a part of his sovereign plan. He eats as he wants to. He lets the juices flow together. He is in charge of how he eats the food. I don't not, doesn't make sense to a very orderly eater. That to me, Anthony belonged to be here. And if we're honest, some people have even tried to make sense, like, man, take somebody else that's doing some bad things, God. And then I look at many of us in this room, how many of you have tried to make sense out of death? How many of you have tried to make sense out of the turmoil in your marriage? So this sermon is not just about Anthony, it's about, in reality, that many of us have tried to make sense of things before we obey. And if it doesn't make sense, we don't do something. Some of us refuse to worship today because we said, God, I'm not going to worship you until it makes sense to me what you're doing. Like, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to join a church. I'm not going to serve in church because church hurt still hurts me. So because the church hurt don't make sense to me, I'm not going to do church, worship in church, or serve a church until it makes sense why I was hurt. 
Many people are in therapy and counseling, even though that's good, and you should go, because we're trying to ask a person to make sense of our life. When in reality, some of the things no counselor or therapist can even reconcile. So we go from counselor to counselor, person to person, friend group to friend group, group chat to group chat, hoping that somebody will make sense of life. When in reality, God doesn't eat like I want him to eat. If you look at Job 14, before while you're turning there, I want you to give you the premise of where we're at. You know Job's story. Job is a person that lost everything. It doesn't make what? Job chapter 1 introduces the why. And even when many of us have read Job chapter 1, how many of us really like Job chapter 1? That Satan goes to heaven and says, can I test the servant? And God complies and says, yes, he won't curse me. How many of you like that? Like, God, mm -mm, don't put my name in the hat. Mm -mm, not me, God. Not if it ends with sores all over my body and you killing my kids. Not, Scott, not you, excuse me. You allowing my kids to die. Don't mm -mm. pull somebody else's name from the hat. Because even chapter one to many of us don't make sense. Because many of us are telling God, take Anthony's name out the hat. He doesn't deserve that. I know this is hard so far, but then guess who tries to come along and make sense of it so far? Guess what group chat joins Job on his suffering? Those annoying friends. We all have annoying friends, right? The friends that always think they're a counselor even though they have no degree. The friend that thinks they know everything about everything. You know you got that friend who's like, I know what God's telling you right now. I've talked to God and God has told only me. You're confused because you don't know God like me. But if you read the word like me, you would know. <laughs> and he had three of them jokers. Think about that. You sitting down, got sores all over your body, and these three dudes decide to tell you what God is trying to say. Ah, look, man, Joe, this wouldn't happen if you weren't a bad guy. What sin are you hiding? I, uh, Joe, we know God is sovereign, but you don't know some things that he knows, but you've done something. And Job, look, man, you think you're righteous, but you're not. Because in humanity, it has to make what? Sense. So we got friends that have come over our house trying to make sense of our life. We've had friends that speak into our marriage trying to make sense of why you're doing what you're going through. We have friends that speak into your singleness talking about, I know why you're still single. I felt that one to my right. I don't even know what that noise is. <laughs> but the only person that provides counsel when we talk about God's sovereignty is what we're fixing to learn. I know this text sounds morbid, but stay with me because it ends beautifully. In Job chapter 14, verse 1, you're going to get into a text where people have, Job has been, had it all with all their advice. Not that they stopped, by the way. They're going to keep talking when this chapter is over. And Job has already said some of these things, and guess what? In Job chapter 7. This is almost verbatim what Job says in Job chapter 7, meaning they ain't listened to him yet. But in Job chapter 14, it says, man who was born of woman. Now, you're like, Pierre, what does that make sense? Everybody's born of a woman. Exactly. What is Job trying to say? Everybody. It's a poetic way of saying, if you're born of a woman, this is you. Now, you're like, here, make that significant. The what they were trying to tell him was only unrighteous people go through something. 
The only the bad people. So that means, Job, you a bad dude. And he's like, wait a second, the last time I checked, everybody go through something. You know, the, you know why some of us have turned away from the faith or won't sing or won't worship or won't come to church until it's all good? It's because you're expecting God to make everybody, everything in your life turn out the way you want it to. Forgetting that God allows things to happen to everybody born of woman. That this world in which you are born in, you are born depraved into a, a, a world of depravity. That means you will experience the effects and the, the things of this world that are sinful. We can't avoid it. But we keep walking around like God's going to provide us some holy bubble. That we are not allowed to experience pain because the next couple of words, he says, God, this is a short-lived life. Think about this. He's saying, God, it's short. But even in the midst of the short-lived life, guess what? It's full of what? Turmoil. Now, you'll be like, Pierre, you're going to have to define that word because this is going to have to make sense to me. Job is saying that the life that I'm given, the life that I live is full of turmoil. The word turmoil, just for blanket definition, just means it's full of trouble. Now, how many of y'all, if we were that church and said amen to everything, how many of y'all, if I said your short-lived life has been full of trouble, how many of y'all would say amen? How many of y'all, if you were to do the life the way you designed it, you wouldn't have drove in the car to church that you drove in today? You wouldn't go home to some of the marital issues that you're going home to today? That you wouldn't go home to the singleness and the loneliness you feel if you feel lonely in your singleness. You wouldn't go home like that. You wouldn't wake up in the morning, look to your left and be like, Ugh. you wouldn't do that. How many of y'all would say, Pierre, I would fix my life if I was God? Some of y'all felt that one. But trouble doesn't just mean, I mean, turmoil doesn't just mean trouble. You know what it means? If you go to 1 Samuel, it's the same root to the word earthquake, shaking. So what is he saying? That your short-lived life is full of life-shaking events. Ooh. But the one thing I know about an earthquake, although I don't want to go too deep with the definition to bore you, I want you to get something about an earthquake. The earthquake is not about the surface results. The earthquake is what happens underneath the surface. That some of us are saying, God has rocked to me to my very underservice. The things that I don't even understand what he's doing, the, the, the very foundation-shaking events, that the things on top are wobbling because of what's happening underneath. Now, the reason why some of us go to therapy and counseling, not that I'm picking on it, because, I, again, I believe in it, but the reason why some of us are going, because we're asking the counselor to tell us what's underneath the surface and shaking. Because my, my, my walls are falling apart. There's cracks coming through my roof. There, there's something not right in my life because you don't realize that even in your life, it wasn't just the surface level problems you were going to have. It was the foundational shaking problems you would have. When I hear Mama Birdie's verse, voice, when I called her to check on her, pastor was like, hey, call and check on Miss Birdie. I did. She goes, and y'all know Mama Birdie's voice if you've ever been to first service. I'm good, baby. I'm crying on the phone with her, and she encouraging me. I'm the worst pastor ever. <laughs> it's supposed to be the other way around, like, God is faithful. She over there like, Pierre, God is faithful. Because <laughs> how in the world could you have cancer and talking about I'm taking a break just to walk to my car so I can put a box in my car to take it to church? She, I, don't, she, I don't even have enough strength to make it to my trunk. 
but I'm going to make it today, baby. That's the faith I want, that despite the fact that my life is shaking underneath the surface, the surface still has faithfulness. But I wouldn't tell you I'm there yet. I'm just telling you of somebody who is. You can't brag on yourself when you ain't there. I'm only going to brag on Mama Birdie because it's full of turmoil that is shaking some of us to our very core. You'll know if circumstances are shaking you to your core if on the top level you're not the same. Hear me out. You'll know where your faith is by how many cracks and how many things fall down in your life just because the foundation ain't right. How many of us, we won't come to church, we won't worship, we won't even join. Some of us haven't dated since our last breakup because we let that shake us to our core. We let a man or a woman tell us our value, so therefore we can't date until somebody restores the value only where God is the only one who could fix the foundational pieces. We've let men tell us in our marriage who we are. We've let women tell us who we are in our marriage. Therefore, we won't serve them faithfully because they haven't mm, encouraged us enough. And God's like, your foundation is shaking because of a man or a woman. They can't shake what I can shake. They can't allow what I can allow, but they also can't fix what is broken. I, I want you to get this. It's very clear that some of us allow earth-shaking events. That our finances aren't the same because we allowed it to shake us. That finances were never the predication of your faith. That finances and how you feel about your job was never supposed to be about how you feel about God. But you know what it does show? It shows where your idols are. Because the moment you have a bad day, God is no longer the same. There's your idol. The moment your boss isn't what you want him or her to be, that means that God ain't the same. That's your idol. The moment that husband or wife, your singleness, your loneliness, your depression, your anxiety becomes your God, that means I won't worship until you fix. That's your God. Some of us won't worship the God who can fix it. We'll only ask God to fix it, and then he becomes God. Well, then is it God if he's only responsive to what you want? Or do you trust what we're going to get to in a few minutes sovereignty. Oh, it gets better. That he says, watch these words, like a flower, he comes forth and he withers. Now, there's so many cross-references to this. I know I don't have time for every single one, but he not only does he say it in Job chapter 7, he, uh, the psalmist repeats it in Psalm 90, verse 4 and 5 and 6, and also verse 10, that there are scriptures that would tell us what life really is. But I want to give you some background how many of y'all ladies love flowers when somebody brings it home? Or you cut it yourself. I understand independent women. I'm not saying a man got to bring it. You can decorate your house before I get in trouble. But how many of us like flowers? Flowers are the worst investment in mankind. Because they cut the root before they give it to you. That joke got lived four days. She was like, thank you, baby. That thing sit on the table. It's gone. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, fellas. I'm just saying buy a plant. It's a better investment. <laughs> buy her a citrus tree, then you get fruit. Come on. It's biblical. It don't look good, <laughs> but it produces fruit, though. I'm joking. Don't do that. It doesn't work. Because the last time I checked, flowers, hear me out, are not only temporary, flowers are seasonal. That means they don't sprout in certain seasons. So then I look at my brother's life and I say, Anthony was a beautiful season. 
I just want to make sure you sprout in your season. Some of us haven't bud yet. Some of us look at long life and say, that's a blessing. I'm going to reverse that logic on you. I wonder if God gives some of us long life because he's waiting. You could eat that if you want. That every day you wake up, when God says his loving kindness is brand new, he's saying, when are you going to sprout, my brother or sister? And if you reverse that same logic, guess what you would say to Anthony? You would say, man, that man sprouted, lived, lived his season, and blessed the world. That is a good season. So in reality, when you look at Anthony's life, you're like, God, that was a perfect ending to a beautiful season. I know you're like, nobody wants to hear the reverse logic because, again, it makes too much or contradicts your sense. I'm not asking it to make sense. I'm only saying that sometimes the life that we're asking people to take, like God's like, you could take him, not her. And I'm saying, that's God's grace that you still exist because he's waiting on you to sprout. Flowers. It's repeated in Psalm 90. I wish I had time, but then let's go to this word called shadow. That he says that life is a shadow. Light, shadow just means transition. That the shadow was just a evidence of a body. Right? You can't have a shadow of a person without a person. But when the sun goes down, the shadow is gone. There's two beautiful analogies just to the word shadow. One being when the sun shines on you, you have a shadow. So therefore, I look at some of us as, as the sun shines on you every morning, you have a shadow. But when the sun goes down, will your legacy live on? What are you doing with your flower season and what are you doing with your shadow season? Because if your shadow season and your flower season is all about you, it fades and nobody notices. You know the crazy thing about a shadow is that nobody noticed you have one until you have people around you staring at your shadow. Shadows are only recognized by the people that look at it. Flowers are only good for how you give them away. So therefore, I guess what I'm asking you is what kind of flower are you? And then what kind of shadow are you? The sun is shining on you, ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing with your life? Because if you look at Anthony's life, you were like, man, we can't stop talking about everything he's done. Think about it. Even an offering, I could talk about what Anthony did that nobody knew about. Like that's, even to the smallest part of worship, we're like, man, this, you're holding a mic he bought probably. To the very fingertips, his shadow left a reason and a season and a legacy on living word. But then you look at his son's and his daughters, and you say, there's legacy there. When you look at his wife, there's legacy there. What are you doing? So y'all are going to ask me a simple question. Well, Pierre, if I had a wife or a husband, I would leave shadows too. If I had a man, watch my legacy. If I had a woman, watch my legacy. I'm a good man. Last time I checked, good is not predicated on somebody's presence. Shadows are only predicated by sun. So when the sun shines on you, do something with it. But I can also say it's short-lived. Therefore, if it's short-lived and everything he just gave you is temporary, if you go to James 4.14, you will read a scripture where he talks about. 
you're just a vapor. So therefore, if you're just a vapor, in the, in the line of eternity, what do you do with your vapor? I told my wife, don't, don't, don't mourn me. I'm good. I'm gone. Don't cry for me. Because no offense, in heaven, he said he's going to wipe away tears. So no offense, you wasting tears down here. Man, burn me up. Throw me in the back. Because I ain't even here. I'm in the arms of my Savior. Second service just going to be just fine without me. They're going to find somebody not as corny, a little taller, with not with holes in his beard. He'll have a full one. <laughs> Might have dreads, because I've always wanted dreads. Maybe God will bless you. <laughs> it's temporary. I feel led to do this. Turn to Psalms 90 with me real quick as I conclude that section. In Psalms 90, it says this. In the morning, it flourishes, it sprouts anew. Toward the evening, it fades and withers away. That's talking about flowers. Verse 10, as the day of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Think about that. 70? 80? 50? It's a blessing. But then we control, plan. This is where many Christians will get confused and struggle with me on this next point. That we, it made sense that life is short because it's in everybody's face, but what happens when your life is? That plans don't make sense. What happens when your marital plan didn't make sense? What happens even though you went to premarital, even though you got all this good advice, even though you came into the altar and all these things made gooey sense? What happens when that plan didn't work out? Y'all know me by now. I'm waiting on the day where I won't be judged for jeans. But right now I have a suit rotation. And if you know anything about it, as you could tell, I'm very particular. So I don't want nobody catching me wearing the same suit. So how do you do that when you have to rotate through suits? Simple. You put them in a line in your closet. And when you wear it, you put it to the back. And then you pull out the one in the front. Whether or not you feel like wearing it, Meaning it doesn't fit me well today. Oh, well, that's in line. Because it, the, the gap period, y'all can't catch me. Because I can control the gap. Many people do God just like that. God, I can control when this problem comes. I'll just put this problem in the back. When you solve that one, I'm going to move it. When I'm put this problem in the back, when you solve it, and God, you're going to bless me with the gap period. I'm not going to have problems. But what happens no matter what you do, the plan doesn't work out? What happens when somebody's taking notes on your plan? What happens when something doesn't make sense? How many of us are up at night trying to make this make sense? How many of you stay up trying to figure out your next financial plan, that your last business plan didn't make sense, your vision board is not working out, the way you left your incense as you prayed over things is not working out, you fasted over things, that didn't work out, some of us wearing crystals, that's not working out, and sooner or later, you're going to recognize it's only God. Right here. Because he starts to tell you it's not you. 
He says, you also open your eyes on him. So that means God knows on him. That God knows his selections and the suit patterns. And you can't avoid it. God knows what's going on in your life. That, for some, feels good to hear. For others, we're like, then why would you put your eyes on me if you're not going to do what I ask? And you got to imagine Job saying this very scripture. What is he saying? You got your eyes on me, and I'm still in trouble. How many of y'all look like God's eyes on them, even when he doesn't fix it when you say so? Because even in the context of Scripture, when he says, you have my eyes or my face, it usually means favor. Job is taking that same Scripture and saying, hey, I have your eyes, but it's not working. So how many of y'all feel like, hey, when God doesn't listen, do you still feel like God loves you? This is the kicker that I've heard many people say. They say what? When things don't work out, does God even see me and does God even love me? How many of us are saying, God, you don't love me no more? Because if you did, that's our favorite statement. Because if you did. Anytime you put a because on something, you're trying to make sense of why he doesn't. Anytime you say because, if you did, this would make sense. Then it says, a little further, we'll go with me, and it says, it's bring judgment into with yourself. Now, this is clicker. This is, this is tough to even try to diagnose, because this text is, like you said, a little deep. What he's saying is, I'm in your court, and I'm attesting about what? This life you gave me. So I'm, I'm going before the judge, and I'm saying, judge, I don't know if I deserve this. Judge, I've been a righteous man. Judge, look at me. I've done everything. Look, 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 I'm your lawyer. Let me list out my resume of why I don't deserve any problems. How many of us have done that to God? We've lawyered up. We tell God how righteous we are. Even though we know the scripture says your righteousness is filthy rags. Even though we know that text. Even though we know that nothing levels up to God's righteousness. How many of us have brought our resumes and our testimonies to God. Job is saying, I know I'm not perfect, but man, did I deserve all this? How many of you have done that before? When Monica was in, I was in the waiting room and they were checking her for breast cancer. I said, God, I don't, I don't know if I deserve all this. I'm, I, I, I'm an assistant pastor, an adjunct professor. I've given my life to you. I don't deserve a mammogram check. But how many people deserve breast cancer in the first place? No one. But then I go before the judge and say, well, yeah, I don't know about them, but me. How many of us have wasted time trying to prove cases rather than show your faith and how you live despite your circumstance? That you're wasting space on a court case without saying, God, no matter what you decide, because the word judgment means your decision. How many of you are okay with God's decision in your life? That you're okay with your marriage right now? That even though it's not perfect, you're okay with your singleness right now? Even though it doesn't feel great if you choose not to be? I'm okay with not being at a perfect church. I'm okay with where I am as I journey. I'm okay with your decisions. 
Or how many of us are in court waiting in line to tell God why nobody in here deserves anything? What if I were to tell you that you, you don't deserve it? Or what if I were to tell you that everybody deserves death, but his grace allows you to have life? What if I were to tell you that we deserve worse than our troubles? Would you still be in line? No, you wouldn't. Because if God would take the same case, hear me out, and then throw out your sins, and you notice your case was this big, and he chunked out your sins, and that joke will roll to your feet, and you start reading 1,069 point. And he's like, that's just last week. And then he pulls out something else, and they're scrolls. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I did cuss that person out. That was crazy. But they deserve that guy. Can you cross that off? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know I disrespected her. Yeah, I know. I know I didn't love her like the church. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know I ain't loved her at all in the last three days. Ugh. God, I know that I've been kind of falling for my lust and my singleness, you, but you know why. If you felt the way I felt, <laughs> if you had the flesh I had, you lust too. You gave us Instagram, God. I tried to direct message you, but my finger slipped and I direct messaged her. It was crazy. <laughs> Cross it off, God. And God looks at you and saying, do you want the punishment for this, though? You're like, well, no, God, of course not. So who are you to say you have a list? Whew. But that's grace, though. But grace doesn't mean you won't have something. Mm. He says you can't, watch these words, who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. But watch what he goes to and where he concludes. He says, since his days are determined. Now, determined just means set out with judgment, means the decision is made. That means I can't control the end game. So the beauty of the passage when he says you can't control the end, that means you can only live in your present. You know what many of us struggle with anxiety and fear? Because you keep trying to control the future rather than focus on your present. The only thing you can control is how you act today. That's the only thing you can control. So therefore, we are wasting energy on our obedience today. That's all we got. Is that when we wake up in the morning, we say, today is your day. God is yours. What, can you, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to love? Who do you want to respect? Who do you want me to change? God, I know what I did yesterday. The list is long. You forgave that. Threw it up and you said, east is the west. But today, there's no list. I know I'm still in my problems. I know the boat is still rocking. But today, I choose to rest in your arms. Today, I choose to do what you've called me to do. I know my days are numbered. My days are fine. When I'm gone, he said, that's the end. There's nothing I could do about it other than take care of my temple and make righteous decisions. That's all you got. Because I've seen healthy people say what? Time is up. So today, what's your decision making? Because if it's already determined, then what do you do with your day? It makes life a lot simpler. 
When you say, God, how do I love my wife today? God, how do I love my husband today? God, how do I serve the church today? God, how do I do this today? God, what do you want me from me today? How do you want me to be well in my singleness? How do you want me to be well in my marriage? How do you want me to be a light on this job? That is easier. Because that means every person is now an evangelistic term because you don't want them to experience the end of their determined days without them hearing the gospel. It changes things. But let's move further because he continues to say it. The number of his months is with you and his limits you have set so that he cannot, watch these words, pass. Did you hear that? His limits are set so he cannot pass them. So no matter how much Pilates you do, it's still set. I'm not saying don't take care of your temples, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not saying have a sin-type life because we know sin shortens life. That's your free will. So I'm not sitting there saying, hey, we're going to do what I want to do. If God's name is the number, I'm just going to keep doing me. No, that's you. You can shorten life. But if you live righteous, your days are just numbered. And people are like, well, this is the problem I found about Christianity. Nobody likes when somebody puts a limit on them. Nobody likes it. How do I know that? Go into marriage and then tell your wife, we need to do something. Tell your husband, we gotta do something. <laughs> I ain't gotta be nothing but black and die. Right, Kiran. Favorite statement in the world. He forgot about taxes, but it's all good. Some people haven't paid them. Nobody likes limits. But I do like my day. But then he says, hey, just let me serve and get out of here. Turn your gaze away from me. Whatever this gaze is you got, God, mm, because he's wrestling with this word that many of us struggle with. It's sense versus sovereignty. How many of us are okay with God's sovereignty? Sovereignty means his power and plan, meaning how many of us are okay that he has the power and a plan? It takes away the argument when you have to believe in something you can't control. How many of us are okay if the plan doesn't match yours? And it only comes when your plan starts to go in a different direction. I forgot this point in the second service, but I'll be very clear with this one. Right now in this season, I call it my season of fog. I don't know what God's doing. Everything's great, but it's still like, God, I had this plan. It seemed like you had it too. We were in agreement. And then God drops the fog on my life. And he says, you can only see as far as the headlight shows you. Then somebody added to my illustration. You know what they said? You know what they say when you're in fog? Go to the white line because the white line doesn't change. It's a fog line. So not only can you not go as far as the headlight shows you, you only stay according to the white line. So the only thing I could do in the season of fog is do what the Bible tells me to do. That's the white line. The only thing that God's allowing me to see is how far he wants me to see. That's the fog line. So therefore, the only thing I can do is drive the car and stay on the white line. Today, ladies and gentlemen, you don't know the day is determined by you. You can do everything you want and live righteous, but the only thing you are responsible for, keep your hand on the wheel, make sure you don't run into anybody from the back, stay in your lane, and stay on the white line. That's all you got. Hmm. I'll be quick. I chose not 
this morning, I, uh, I told y'all I'm super particular. That's probably why I get things done sometimes, but too structured. How many of y'all are like me, though? How many of y'all have to force yourself to go to sleep? Okay, good. Y'all, see, some of y'all are not bad people. And the one way I used to do it was look at the clock. How many of y'all roll over, look at the clock? I'm like, ooh. How many of y'all do the countdown technique? You're like, well, I only got four hours now. <laughs> so I roll over and you're like, seven hours and 30 minutes, that's not that bad. That's cool, I could do that. And all of a sudden you roll back over, you can't fall asleep. It's like six hours. I've done six before, I've done six before. You roll back over, you're like, four, oh, God bless, I'm going to need coffee. You start planning out your coffee breaks at the work, you're like, okay, 12, <laughs> two. And then some of us are so old, I ain't going to lie, some of us are so old, we're like, ain't nobody going to mess with me. I'm going to bed at six the next day. <laughs> Closing my curtains, blackout, baby, we're going to sleep. Some of y'all go to six no matter what. We'll talk about y'all later. Y'all boring. I'm joking but I'm serious. Now, <laughs> yesterday I decided, I said, I'm not going to even roll over. I'm just going to close my eyes and trust God. Because I'll be honest with y'all, I was nervous about preaching a sermon when you're in pain and then you're hurting. It's like, I was like, nah, man, I got to have eight hours of sleep. I got to preach both services. I got to make sure I go to bed. I had my clothes lined out. I had everything structured, have everything on the sink. I knew exactly where everything was. I could see it in the dark so I couldn't wake Monica up. I knew exactly where my bags were, had it packed, had it charged, make sure the iPad was ready to go. I had it lined up and it still couldn't fall asleep. And God said, are you going to trust me? Some of us just need to roll over, close your eyes, and thank God for another day. That's it. Stop counting your hours and telling God what you're going to do with them. Stop making a plan and stuff you can't plan. Start living free in the God, the fact that God is sovereign with your life. Some of us haven't let go of people because you're scared. If you let go of them, you're only in God's hands. So we keep holding on to people, holding on to jobs, holding on to security, holding on to 403s. And God's looking at you like, wait a second. When did I become limited in your limitations? Because I want you to turn to Job 38 as I close. Because Job 38, God finally responds. Now, here's the crazy thing about this whole book. You went from, they were talking beforehand. You think, hey, guys, we don't know why would be the answer. No, his friends kept talking. Like, that's what's messed up. Like, dude, if I said, I'm going to call you back later, (laughs) that means I'm done. We've all done it. You've done the Christian, I'm going to call you back. Like, you have no intent of calling them back. Job hit him with the, I'm going to call you back. I'm going to die either way. He hit him with that message. And his friends kept talking. All the way to verse chapter 38. And in 38, the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel? By words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man. Oh my gosh. If God ever tells you to gird up your loins, <laughs> run. <laughs> Those fighting words in God's days. You know, someone said, some people say, knuckle up. They be like, hey, knuckle up then. That's old school right there for those who are, you know, don't know what that is. Or new, square up then. Oh, when he says gird up, that means gird them up. Since you're so manly to tell me what I'm doing, gird up your loins. 
Ladies and gentlemen, some of y'all been coming to God all willy-nilly. Just put it out there. You're like, God, I don't know what you're doing with my life. God, I don't know. I question your judgments. God, God's like, okay, gird them up then. Yep, tie it up. We're going to wrestle today, but somebody's hip ain't going to work when we done. <laughs> and it ain't mine. <laughs> I'm going right back to heaven on these steps. <laughs> Who are you? Is the best choice of words that come tell me what to do. Who are you to come to court with me? Whew. Tell me if you have understanding. Oh, man. Who sets this measurement since you know? When God hits it with you since you know, the, the, the answer is what? You don't know. <laughs> I challenge you to read the rest of these three chapters. I, I don't got time. Because if I read it, you'd be like, oh, that's on hush mouth. Like, you know when your wife wins the argument and you ain't got nothing to say? <laughs> like, you crumping. Just... <laughs> Ladies, you know when your husband finally wins? Nah, y'all keep going. I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no hush mouth. They'll find something. That's why your shoe's dirty. What? <laughs> How'd you get to my shoes? That's why your drawers stink. I'm like, dang, she went for the drawers. I had a rough day at work. All right. Or who, or who, or who stretched the line on it? Let me get back. On what were the bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy, or who enclosed the seed door? I'm just going to summarize it for you. For three chapters straight, this man starts to list sovereignty. His power over creation is the best choice of words. So if I can control the morning star, how do you think I'm out of control with your life? So if I can control when you wake up and you think it's an alarm clock, as many of us wake up before our alarm clock angry, if I can control when you breathe in your first air, when I can control you going from an unconscious state to a conscious state, if I can control when you drive your car to work and everybody misses you, if I can control when the, the rain comes down and gives you air to breathe, if I can control that we're not in a drought, if I can control when the water chooses to come up even though we're below sea level, if I can control how you get gas, if I can control how you even can love your wife or love your husband, and I'm the one who gave them to you in the first place, now you're complaining about them. If I could control that, who do you think lost control? Just because you lost control doesn't mean I'm out of it. The reason is we judge God on human standards. We keep saying, God, if I feel out of control, you're out of control. But let me finish with this verse. I got to be quick. Job 42, Job finally answers. Then Job answered the Lord very humbly. <laughs> I added that part. He didn't say that. And said, I know you can do, read it with me, all things. Mm. After I gave you three chapters, then your mouth starts to close because even when you don't understand, some of us start to say, God, I know you can do all things. 
So even when my marriage is messed up, I know you can do all things. Even when I'm still single, I know you can do all things. Even when my job isn't where I want it, I want the promotion. I know you can do all things. Even when my boss is still tripping, even when I don't see how you can allow me to be at this job for so long when I want another one, I know you can do all things. Even when I'm dating and I'm not sure if this is the right man, I know, or woman, I know that you can do all things. You can reveal the fruit. God, I know that at the end of the day, since I've heard how sovereign you are, I know. So even though I don't understand Anthony, even though I know when I went to the hospital, I didn't like what I saw, even though I can tell you right now that I grieved and I'm struggling and I'm wrestling with, that at the end of the day, I got to say, God, I know. I don't get it. But just because I don't get it doesn't mean you can't do all things. Doesn't mean the family can't be restored because what I'm fixing to read to you is not only two things happen after that verse. Ooh, one, God checks the friends too. Y'all like that part? The same whirlwind came down on Eliphaz, and Eliphaz was like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> you think I'm lying? Just read it with me. And it came out of the Lord, spoke these words to Job, and the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, the wrath, my wrath is kindled against you and your two friends. Don't speak for me. So this sermon isn't me speaking for God, it's me leading you back to him. So for those who are wrestling with God's sovereignty today, I'm leading you back to God's sovereignty and plan. I can't speak on behalf of God. The only thing is lead you to his scripture, who speaks for itself. Any preacher who leads you into counsel and sense is leading you the wrong way. If he leads you to the word of God, then everybody's quiet. But Eliphaz now has the wrath that he spoke out of turn. That wasn't his job. So today, I'm going to get out the way. It's not my job. But then later on in that same chapter, guess what happens? God restores Job. Because the same person who allowed the turmoil in the life is the same person who could fix it. The problem with many of us is that we think the turmoil is we got to fix it. So we stay up every night trying to come up with a plan to fix it. And God's like, wait, you can't restore your own fortune. I gave it to you in the first place. The only person who can restore what I gave you is the person who gave it to you. So the same thing you're begging me for, the same thing you said was out of order, I can restore order. The same thing you said was in turmoil, I can take the turmoil out. If you trust me in my sovereignty, I still got a plan. That's the beauty of God. He don't run out of them. That even though you're out of them, he ain't out of them. Even when you don't see the end, he sees the end. Even when you're like, I don't know how it's going to work, he knows it's going to work. God is looking at telling you like, man, when are you going to let it go? Trust me. I got it. Me and Anthony were walking together on a Sunday, and I got to be cool. Yeah. It was, we, we weren't paying attention in the meeting. Excuse me, Pastor. Pastor was saying some things, and we knew some of the things he was already going to say because the pre-meeting to the meeting. So we already knew what he was going to say. So we just decided, or Anthony decided, <laughs> we decided, I love my boy, I miss him, say, but I love them shoes. I was like, I know you do. Yeah, we both got old man swag now. He was like, 
Where you get those at? I get them at the same place every time. He said, where's that? I said, man, look, I, look, I'll find them for you if I can. He was like, well, do that, Buck. I said, guess what? The vapor's on sale. Anthony bought me my first pair of vapors. So I was like, he was like, I said, they back on sale, $115 for some vapors. Now, for some of y'all old dirt people, that, are, that is cheap for shoes now. And I was like, that's 40, 50, 60% off. He said, what, Buck? Now, we're talking quiet. Pastor's still talking. <laughs> Pastor sometimes doesn't notice because he's so into what he's saying. So I'm passing my phone, shooting it across the way, like, bro, look, vapors. <laughs> what? So I ran up to him in the, in the middle of church. I found him. I found your shoes that you like. I said, what's your size, Buck? He said, man, I wear 11, 11 and a half, and I walked away. Ah. The shoes came in yesterday. I was planning to buy them and bring them, and we was going to match. And then I was going to buy the vapors, and we was going to match. But it's funny that the first pair of shoes he called was a vapor. And in James 4.14, it says that life is just a vapor. And I thought, what a coincidence that we're both chasing a shoe called a vapor when I didn't know I should be just spending time with my brother because life is a vapor. And the same shoes I bought you, you'll never wear. But that doesn't mean his shoe prints aren't everywhere all over this church. That when I look, and I look in the back where he always is, his shoes are still there. Because in many people's life, I heard testimony after testimony. I've listened to my brothers cry. I've listened to us all weep. He taught some of us how to play drums. He was a part of people's lunches and dinners. That man was at somebody's house eating some type of food because his shoes are still here. So even if his life is a vapor, his legacy isn't. So the question I have for you is, what do you do with your flower? And what do you do with your shadow? Let us pray.